seen Jesus and I'll never be the same again. And that's true. When you see him and you see him for the very first time, you realize who he is. He reveals himself to you. You're never, ever the same again. Awesome, awesome truth. Well, I have good news for you. He is risen. And he is alive. And he is very real and he is at work today. Aren't you glad for that? I also have good news for you. A proud owner of a red Corvette. The lights are on down below, and if that's your car, if the lights aren't off and the battery runs down, the car is mine. (laughs) Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. The fact that Jesus is alive, the fact that he has risen from the dead, and we rehearse this not just once a year, but we rehearse it literally every day, the resurrection. We celebrate the hope in the resurrection. This is great cause for rejoicing. Would you agree? And so the theme for this morning is rejoice. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, as we are mindful of it more particularly today, is without a doubt the most important event of all of human history, indeed of all of eternity. There is no more important, no more significant event in the history of mankind, in the history of this world, than the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That event is the very basis for all that we believe. That event is the very cornerstone of our faith. The point being that if Jesus had not risen from the dead, you and I have no hope. You and I uh, are just speculating like everybody else. You and I have no real confidence of eternity. You and I have no confidence that our sins are forgiven. We have no confidence of new life. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead. But I'm here to again to announce to you that he has. Think with me. What, is, what do you think is the, is the most difficult thing for a person to do? The most difficult thing. Come back from the dead, do you think? Now, I personally don't know anybody who's come back from the dead. Now, I know pastors and I know missionaries who have prayed and seen people rise from the dead, but I personally don't know anybody who's come back from the dead. I've tried to raise people from the dead. I prayed over people who died in hospitals and even at funerals. On a couple of occasions here in in this room, we've had an open casket, and and I went and laid my hands on the corpse and commanded it to rise. Nothing happened. I thought, well, at least I tried. But then later on, in retrospect, it dawned on me, if that were me in the casket, I wouldn't want anybody calling me back. If I was in heaven, wouldn't you? Would you? No, I told my wife, I said, if I die before you, don't call me back. Don't have anybody pray for me. I want to be in heaven and stay there. The point is, is that if Jesus claimed that he would, he would die, claimed that he would rise again in three days, and if he was able to do the very thing he claimed, 
then everything else he said, we could have strong confidence in, couldn't we? If he did the hardest things. And hence, the resurrection is the very cornerstone of our faith. As I said a moment ago, if Jesus did not rise, we have no confidence. And if we have no confidence, we have no hope. And if we have no hope, there can be no joy. Truly no joy. Because of the resurrection, the life of a Christian should be characterized by great joy. Think about it. Every day as we reflect and remember on on what the truth is, that we have a great hope. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that we should be joyful in hope. If I have no hope, I can't be joyful. But because I have a great hope through the resurrection of Christ, I have new life. I have the hope of forgiveness of sins. God is not mad at me. His guns of judgment aren't trained on me. If I should die suddenly today, I know where I'll be. I'll be in eternity in heaven. And for that, I'm joyful. I'm greatly joyful. What a pity, what a tragedy for the Christian who doesn't acknowledge, recognize these things and is not experiencing the joy of the Christian life. In Matthew chapter 28, we see the risen Lord. The very very first people he meets are the women who were with him during his life. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. You have to appreciate the electricity in that moment, in that statement. Here are these women who were no doubt going to the tomb, fully aware, having witnessed him crucified, having witnessed him just a couple of days earlier, died on that cross, taken down off that cross, laid in that tomb. They knew his words. They didn't really believe. They went to that tomb, fully expecting the stone to be rolled in the, in the front of it, fully expecting just simply to grieve there, to mourn there, to see the tomb. But when they showed up, the stone was rolled away. An angel sitting there making this announcement. He's not here. He has risen. Can you imagine if you were that there to hear that testimony? The hair on your very back would stand up, wouldn't it? Just what a, what a moment. What an electric moment. Then the angel said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb. Notice this, please, verse 8. Afraid yet filled with what? Joy. Joy inexplicable. Terrified at this event. And yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. Verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. Greetings, that word in the Greek text 
is kairete, and it can literally be translated, rejoice, I am alive. Rejoice, I am alive. That same word is used in the second chapter of Matthew when the wise men, when the magi came to see him and when the star stopped over where he was, where he was uh, staying in Nazareth, they rejoiced, the magi rejoiced. The same word is used later on when Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He says, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice. Paul picks up that theme of rejoicing in his letter to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He tells them that he was not working to increase their faith. He was working to increase their joy. Beloved, joy should mark the life of every Christian. We have much to be joyful about. Paul goes on to the Philippians and he tells them, he says, I I will continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith so that your joy in Christ will overflow. Question, does your joy in Christ overflow? Can you say that your Christian experience is marked by joy? Are you leading a joyful life? Peter Peter picks up that same theme. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. How many are glad for that? Rejoicing over that reality who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while now you may have to undergo various trials. What are we rejoicing in? I have this great, incredible hope. Marvelous, wonderful hope. If I can say this, the Bible is the most joy-filled book ever written in the history of man. There's more spoken in the Bible about joy than in any other book ever written by men. Why is that? The prophet Nehemiah gives us some insight in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Beloved, when you choose joy... When you choose joy, God empowers you to new dimensions of the Christian life. It's simple as that. When the enemy wants to rob you of your strength, what do you think is the first thing he'll try to undermine? Your joy. Your joy. When your joy goes, your strength goes. As you continue in joy, you continue in strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. There's two interesting things about this word group of joy and rejoice in the Bible. The first thing is the number of times we find these words used throughout the Bible. Nearly 500 times those words are used. The second interesting thing about that word group is where those words occur. 
they occur not always in the greatest of circumstances. Indeed, we're called to choose joy in spite of our circumstances. In the book of Philippians, the Philippians were people who were terribly, terribly impoverished, persecuted. And yet, in the book of Philippians, 15 times those words are used. The Philippians were amongst Paul's favorite. And they were people who were characterized by great joy. In James, James tells us to consider it pure joy when facing various trials. Oh, yeah, easy, easy for you to say. You can do it. What about me? No, we're all called to consider it pure joy when we encounter various trials. Jesus promises us four things. He promises first peace. Peace with God and the peace of God. When you come to Christ, your sins are forgiven. You're at peace with God, and God's at peace with you. His judgment is not going to fall on you. But because you're at peace with God, you can now know the peace of God. The peace of God, that Paul says, will guard your mind and heart. Jesus says in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. What a gift. He promises us peace. What people wouldn't give just to have some peace in their life. Isn't that true? Peace. A still, quiet heart. The second thing Jesus promises is power. We need peace. We need power. We need power to live this Christian life. Power to do the very things that God calls us to do. Power to be the very people he calls us to be. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples, he said, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He promises not only peace, not only power, he promises purpose. Everybody looks for purpose. What's my purpose? Where do I fit? And again, in Acts 1, 8, he says, you shall be my witnesses. There is no greater purpose than to be an ambassador, to be a witness for God through Jesus Christ. No greater purpose. No matter what you do in, in terms of your work, in terms of your profession, in terms of how you earn a living, uh, it, it, whether you're a homemaker, you're an architect, an engineer, a doctor, a lawyer, uh, a ditch digger, whatever you are, you're still called to be a witness. That's your real purpose. And then fourthly, he promises us trouble. Trouble. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, In this world you will have trouble. Oh, joy. You will have trouble, but take heart. Literally, cheer up. I have overcome the world. There's going to be trouble, but I've overcome it. I've overcome it for you. Cheer up. Take heart. Beloved, though pain is inevitable, misery is optional. How many know that? Life is difficult. Someone once said, life can be counted on to provide all the pain that any of us might ever want or need. There's one thing you can count on, 
It's pain. Joy does not deny pain. Joy does not deny sorrow. It doesn't deny grief or doubt or even ambiguity. Rather, joy envelops them. Joy really does envelop all those things. When you have joy, no matter what's happening in your life, when you choose joy, all those issues, all those dramas, all those tragedies, all those griefs and sorrows literally are enveloped. They don't disappear, but they don't disable you. They don't destroy you because you've chosen joy. Why have you chosen joy? Because you have a hope. Paul says to the Thessalonians, we do not grieve as do those who have no hope. I marvel at people who, who experience terrific loss and who have no real hope. They do not have God in their life in any real personal way. They may have some abstract belief, but they don't have the Holy Spirit living in them through whom they can draw peace and comfort, purpose, hope, and joy. John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus says, I want to give you my joy so that your joy may be complete, not lacking anything. You can't have it unless Jesus gives it. John chapter 17, in his high priestly prayer, he speaks about us receiving the full measure of his joy. God wants us to be full of his joy because he knows that we need that joy because that joy leads to strength. Jesus gives a joy that no circumstance would ever, ever be able to take away from you. May I suggest to you, beloved, choosing joy is the best option. It is the best option. If you run low on joy, God can restore it. Psalm 51, verse 12, David says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. If you run low, God can restore it. David celebrated the fact in Psalm 30 that God turned his sadness into joyful dancing. In Psalm 16, we're reminded of what it takes to have joy. What is that? God plus nothing. God plus nothing. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, In your presence you will fill me with joy. Spend time in God's presence. We talked last week about Moses having spent time in God's presence. And literally, when he came down from that experience, his face was all aglow. Joy from being in his presence. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. A cheerful heart is good medicine. I've read, and no doubt maybe you have also, a number of studies, some just popularized studies, others more technical about uh, people who have uh, gone and, and, and enjoyed laughter therapy. People 
sick with all manner of debilitating issues, diseases, problems, and, and just start laughing, watching funny movies, Laurel and Hardy, silly stuff, Abbott and Costello. I know probably many of you don't know who those people are. Laughter. A cheerful heart is good medicine. Someone who knows how to experience joy, someone who knows how to rejoice, can bring health to your body. Proverbs 15, 15, A cheerful heart always has a continual feast. doesn't matter what's on the table. Literally, it's a cheerful heart brings a continual feast. I love what Habakkuk says in chapter 3. He says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, there are the, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, I'll sigh and go, Woe is me, and moan and complain and whine. Whoa. I've got nothing. Is that what Habakkuk says? No. He says, though that's all true, though I have nothing, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Why? He's all I need. Truth be known, He's all I need. God, if you never give me another gift... If you never bless me in another way, you have given me everything I could ever hope to have. You've given me life. You've given me hope. And in that, I rejoice. So Paul says in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. I love it when people say, Pastor, what's God's will for my life? Can you help me find God's will for my life? I said, yes, I can. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice always. That's God's will for your life. Not just when things are good, but always. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's your strength. Pastor, I'm weak. What should I do? Rejoice. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Jesus reminds us in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he came that we might have life and have it meagerly, right? He came that we should have life and have it to the, to the full. Ask yourself, am I experiencing life to the full? I mean, just look at your own experience, your own subjective experience. Am I experiencing life to the full? He came that we should have life to the full. Are you experiencing it? Regardless of your circumstance. A life to the full would include a life of incredible joy, I suggest. And if we are to experience life to the max, life to the full, if we're to experience joy in that life, there's some things that we must understand. Simple things. One, life is difficult. Anybody discover that yet? (laughs) 
Life is difficult. If you don't understand this, you'll never comprehend joy. You have nothing to compare with. Life is difficult. Life is is very difficult. Life is no ride on a pink duck, is it? In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus says, but take heart. Cheer up, I've overcome the world. Life is notoriously difficult. And only when we embrace that reality are we free then to transcend it and in choosing joy find strength. Someone said to me, Pastor, why has God given me so many problems? Because He loves you. Could he love me a little less? <laughs> no, you want him to love you as much as possible. Why is he giving you problems? He's giving you problems because without them, your life would be empty, meaningless, boring, and you would not grow. On the back of most of our minds, we'd say, I don't care. <laughs> oh, yes, you would. You'd be so bored. So bored. You wouldn't need to depend on God. You wouldn't need to grow. You wouldn't need to enjoy that which He provides for you in in such a rich way. Problems are a blessing in disguise. Do you know that? Absolute blessing. So life is difficult. You have to understand that if you're to experience life and certainly joy to the full. There's a second thing we must understand, and that is life is sacred. Life is a wonderful, miraculous gift given by God. God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And God breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living being. Moses told the people in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 30, just prior to their preparing to enter the promised land, he tells the people, he says, choose life. I would say that to you. Choose life. Choose to rejoice in your life. It's sacred. Beloved, we should rejoice in life always. Always. One writer put it this way. He says, we're like flies walking across the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and we fail to realize the beauty and the grandeur at our very feet. Many of us have been given a second or even a third chance to be alive. I just look at my own life and, and, I, and I, I recount my days and there are junctures of my life where, where, where I should have died, clearly should have died. And yet I'm still here. It just amazes me. I'm living on sheer, pure grace. And I fully acknowledge that. It's a tragic thing that too many of us wait too long before we recognize the beauty and the splendor of our everyday life. We wait too long simply to rejoice. Life is sacred. Rejoice in it. Rejoice in it every day. You may remember the young boy a number of years ago, David Rothenberger, 
who at age six was in his bed sleeping at night and his father came in and doused him with gasoline and lit him on fire. Burned him terribly. To this date, he's had more than 5,000 major surgeries from six years old. And yet, he said a year after, at age seven, let me read you a quote. He said, I'm alive. I'm alive. I didn't miss out on the miracle of living. That's enough for me. How many of us could celebrate life? How many of us could rejoice that we are alive with that kind of sentiment given the fact that we have relative health, wealth, well-being? I'm alive. The third thing that we need to understand if we're to experience life to the max is that life is unbelievably short. I'm discovering that. I used to think it was long. I'm on the downhill slide now. I find that now all my friends, we're sitting around talking about the medicine we're taking. (laughs) Social Security. Incredible how, how these things come up. Life is unbelievably short. Not one of us can guarantee we'll be here tomorrow. True? James tells us that our life is a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Given that fact of existence, we dare not live trivial lives. Each day is unrepeatable. Each day. What is what's special about today? It's unrepeatable. Once it's gone, we never get it back. How did you live today? How are you going to live today? Beloved, don't save anything for a special occasion. Why? Because every day we're alive is a special occasion. Celebrate today. Life is incredibly short. So let's not eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. But let's rejoice in the Lord and the life that we have been given. The psalmist sums it up so marvelously when he says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it today. Why? Because life is incredibly short. And there's a fourth thing we need to understand. Life is funny. Life is funny, isn't it? Jesus said that we should be like little children. Have the faith of a child. Just We just simply believe. But children also like to laugh, don't they? Don't you love the laughter? It's the sound of, of kids laughing. I love to watch the kids come up and love to hear their sound in the children's church and laughter, the fun they're having. My son loves to laugh. He still loves to laugh. I love to hear him laugh. He and I laugh together. His mother doesn't understand it, but we have a great time laughing. <laughs> Again, Proverbs seventeen twenty two: a cheerful heart is good medicine. Laugh. A cheerful heart 
always has a continual feast. I remember growing up, and uh, there were five kids in our family, and I was the oldest, and I always had to set the, set the, the uh, example, be responsible, and so forth. And, and we didn't have a lot, so we, we all stayed in the same room, in a little three-bedroom house. And every night, my dad would come and put us to bed, and we'd go to bed dutifully. But, you know, when you get kids in the same room, and we don't want to go to bed, you talk. And they start giggling and laughing. Laughter is contagious, isn't it? You just start laughing. When was the last time you had a good belly laugh? I mean, just laughed yourself silly. I remember my dad coming into our room at night a number of times saying, you kids, shut up and go to bed. And we'd be going... Laughter. What a joy. You know, I'm convinced that we take ourselves way too seriously. We are so self-absorbed. We take ourselves way, way too seriously. And we shouldn't. Why? Because God has taken that responsibility off of us. He's already taken us seriously. Where did He do that? At the cross. He took all that responsibility. Guess what? You don't have... Am I right? (laughs) Joy. Rejoice. (laughs) Life is funny. (laughs) Beloved, we are free now to celebrate the joy of being alive. And we can celebrate it through laughter. Celebrate it through laughter. You know, it's been said that he who has learned to laugh at himself will never cease to be entertained. (laughs) It's also important to know that joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness comes from the same root as happening. In other words, it, it means that happiness is dependent on something good happening. It's circumstantial. Now, there's nothing wrong with happiness. The problem is it depends on my circumstances. Joy, on the other hand, does not depend on circumstances. Joy comes from the settled confidence that God is in control of every detail of my life. I can exhale. I can rejoice. God's on the throne. He's in control. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25, Luke records that Paul and Silas were in Philippi and they've been ministering and and sharing and and, and now they've they've been arrested and they've been beaten and now they're in prison. And at midnight, Paul and Silas are saying, Woe is us. Where is God when we need him? Here we are in prison. We've been working hard for God. Now look, we got a beating for it, and now we're in prison. Is that what they say? No, Luke records here at midnight in prison. Stripes on their backs. They are praying and singing hymns to God. So much so, their joy cannot be contained, 
We're told that the gates of the prison broke open and all the prisoners were set free. Whoa! An angel comes and releases them. Joy. Joy. Not the same as happiness. Joy is peace. Dancing. Think about that. Joy is peace. Dancing. Joy is the flag flying from the tower of your heart because you know that the king is in residence. Joy is not the absence of suffering. Joy is the presence of the Lord. God is here. I can rejoice. I don't have to be happy to be joyful. The Apostle Paul recounts his own experience and in describing all of his hardships in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says this, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Always rejoicing. There's another truth about joy. It's free, but it's not cheap. In our society, you can purchase just about anything today, huh? Isn't that true? You can even buy momentary happiness, huh? We all do it. I'll be happy if I just have, if I just have, and if we have it, we go buy it. Makes me happy, but it's a momentary happiness, isn't it? But joy has a different kind of price tag. Joy always has been and always will be, just like grace, free. Absolutely free. It's a gift to all who choose it. But there's no such thing as cheap joy, just like there's no such thing as cheap grace. No, joy often costs pain and suffering. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we read, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame or disregarding its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy is free, but it's not cheap. If you survey human history, and you survey the lives of all the quote-unquote greatest people in human history, you find one thing in common with the vast majority, not all, but the vast majority. And that is that the vast majority had some kind of handicap. All the greatest people. So praise God if you have some kind of handicap. Praise God if you have some kind of difficult circumstances. Praise God if you are troubled or there's sorrow in your life. You say, how can you say that? Because that gives you a deeper possibility for joy. You can't possibly know the deepest joy unless you suffer the deepest sorrow. How many people do we know throughout history who have accomplished great things in spite of their great handicap? And lastly, joy is a choice. It's simply a choice. As well as being a gift, it's also a choice. At any point in your life, you have two options. There's only two. 
You can choose to be miserable or you can choose to be joyful. There's no middle ground. There's only those two options. We understand that, don't we? We tell our kids, cheer up. Things are going to get worse. (laughs) And sure enough, they do. But may I suggest to you, amongst those options, joy is the better option. Why? I call you back again to that verse in Nehemiah 8.10. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Beloved, when we choose joy, we will be strengthened. Let me say that again. When we choose joy, we will be strengthened and we will be strengthened to live life to the max and for God's glory. We've got to keep choosing joy every day. That's why Jesus died. That's why he rose again. This is why we have Easter. This is why we celebrate the resurrection, that we might have his joy and that we might rejoice always. That is why we celebrate this Resurrection Day. Simply, the joy that comes to us. The joy that we can know. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And beloved, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Have a joyful Resurrection Day. Amen. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your abundant grace, mercy, kindness to us. Lord, it's your kindness that leads us to to repentance. It's your grace that changes us. We're thankful, Lord, that you know that we're but dust. Lord, that you don't give us what we deserve. You give us what we don't deserve. We're thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit and your word. Father, I pray for anybody here this morning who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. I pray that you would instill in them an insatiable appetite to know him, to find out, to settle the issue once and for all in their life. Lord, bring people into their life who will speak to them clearly. Give them a receptive heart. Turn their heart towards you. Grant them repentance and save them. Father, we love you this morning. We love you today. We love you every day, and we rejoice in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen.